live from just west of the Ward Place Gate on the San Diego campus of Seton Hall University. He is the prodigal son of Marlboro Township, Mike Dizzy Dizzeri, class of 2001. I am persona non grata at the Maplewood Municipal Pool, Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997. We are the number one Seton Hall Pirate podcast in San Diego. We are Left Coast Pirates. And good evening, Michael. How are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm sorry, Tommy. I'm, I'm angry, and I'm feeling a bit of deja vu right now. And why is I, that, just, Michael? J- just indulge me. 2010-2011 season, we start off the year 15-2, and two, and then we promptly go on a six-game losing streak. 2014-2015 season, we start off 13-3, and three, and then promptly go into the tank 2-9 and nine from there on, there on out. 15-16, the following season, 12-2, and two, and then come back with a 1-4. and four. The following year, 16-17, start off 12-2, and three and then once again early to mid-january one and five last year the 17-18 season 15 and three followed up by a two and six and here we are again the 18-19 season start off 11 and three optimism is high bang oh and three that's six out of nine years tommy we, we joked about it we were talking about being biggies regular season champs potentially and you said but michael we got a four game stretch here that i'm scared about tommy this team's different willard is different we're turning a corner as a program and we're Back to square one. History does say that this Willard-led team tends to have a bit of a long hangover from New Year's. We do not do a good job coming into January after a successful non-conference and start to the Big East season to have good games. All these folks that we're talking about how this is Willard's masterpiece of a coaching job and that he's got this coach of the year uh, in line, national coach of the year. Forget about Big East coach of the year. People are talking about national coach of the year well now we get to see the other side of the coin you gotta take though from those previous experiences and say you know what it's not about fixing what's wrong as we progress throughout the rest of the season take those previous five years analyze what didn't go well i don't want to hear about the schedule we didn't get enough rest we didn't get the right bye week we had too many games compared to our competition find out what the weak points are for this team historically and make those corrections stop letting history repeat itself you can control your own destiny put the right attitude in place for this team i gotta hear quincy mcknight tell me about how the difficult the schedule has been the coach speak is trickling down to the players and that's not acceptable coaching is all about making adjustments at the right times when things aren't working well you need to figure that out and you need to make changes at halftime after games something of that nature those changes were happening we were watching the games throughout the year so far we saw a mid-game against St. John's. We saw a mid-game against Xavier. There were adjustments. He put Gill in the game and he changed the flow. There was second-half comebacks because the defense kind of buckled down and dug in deep. And now all of a sudden, we're getting sloppiness start to finish. No effort from the opening tip. This is the kind of stuff that I thought this team was going to get beyond. Well, we have hit rock bottom, I think, with this team. And this week has been horrendous. And it started off with a 82 to 73 loss at Providence. Key highlights? Well, I don't know about highlights. We had 22 turnovers that game. Sandro had a ridiculous 
ridiculously bad game with four bad fouls and two points total. Our best player, Myers Powell, had an off night shooting four of 15 with four turnovers and then had a, a little scrap bite at the end of the game. Q had a pretty solid game. It led us in scoring and assists, but he also turned the ball over six times. Like, what did you see in that? Can we talk about why Powell was frustrated? Can we talk about why he was getting into that little scuffle towards the end of the game? I don't think it was a one-off situation. I think he was worn down. I think he was beat up. And I think he let his frustrations out on that play due to the, the backlog of what was happening from the opening tip. He was getting mauled again. He was aggressive to the bucket and not getting a foul call. And we couldn't get him a damn look. I've been screaming about this all season long, Mike. Even when they quote-unquote call a play for Powell, it's him running off a double screen, getting the ball in a in a kind of strange position, and he still has to make kind of a, a crazy one-on-one move to get open. It's not like we're getting him good shots at good times. He's your best player. You gotta go to bat for the guy. There was a point late in the game, four minutes to go. The Hall brings the ball up along, along the left side. They're trying to get the ball to Powell at midcourt, and there you come seeing him flying into your picture. Not because he was flying around a pick, because the Providence player literally threw him into midair, landing him at midcourt. And there was no call. We said this after the Marquette game, where Marcus Howard was getting foul calls if you blew on him a little too hard. And Miles Powell's going to the basket, drawing contact, going into the defender's body like you're supposed to when you're a smaller guy, and he's not getting any calls. And this continued on at Providence. I don't want to make this about the referees. I mean, when you have a bad game with 22 turnovers the reason why you lose the game is the 22 turnovers I, I don't I don't think there's any way around that but if the refs are gonna let them play old school biggie style of basketball where you're gonna bang down low and you're gonna allow them to grab and hold and that's just not the way the game is supposed to be called nowadays with the new you know freedom of flow kind of rules Powell is getting face guarded but he's also getting held he's not even getting a chance to get open the refs got to do something to balance the the game out and I I think he's advocating for that and he's not getting any calls. In addition to that, Mike, it, it was almost like watching last year's team, and, and I'll tell you how I, I mean that. It seemed like we stopped subbing guys in. We we played our main rotation for a long time, and it didn't seem like we were getting appropriate subs in. Part of what was making this team successful was their team-oriented style of play. We were picking on Shavar and some of the other guys getting minutes, but we were truly going 10 deep with the rotation. We were getting a two-headed monster at the point guard position. Q had a pretty good game. Like As you said earlier, he led the team in scoring, led the team in assists, but also led the team in turnovers. And, and I don't want to pick on Q because I thought he gave his heart and soul into that game. But in the last two minutes, you could just see he was fatigued. As the offense was breaking down, he took some poor shots going to the basket. It felt like he was a step slower. And that's because he logged 33 minutes asking to be the primary defender on one side of the court and run the entire show offensively at the point. What the heck happened to Nelson? That was going to be my next question. I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seems like his playing time has cut down. And I don't recall anything obvious that happened in any of the games prior to this that would have resulted in him not getting PT. Yeah, the rumor is that Willard just doesn't like what he brings on the defensive end, and I know that's part of his MO with all of his rotation guys. He puts defense as a top priority over anything else when getting minutes. Nelson makes the offense flow pretty fluidly. We've, we've said that. You know, he just doesn't seem rattled. I understand that you might give something up on the back end. I don't think he gives a, you give up enough to the point where Q has to sacrifice his game due to fatigue 
because you can't give Nelson an extra five or 10 minutes. I'm not asking Nelson to log 25 minutes here. I'm asking him to give you what, 15? Maybe on a good night, 20? We need to get a blow for our starting point guard from a real backup point guard and for a little bit it looked like Willard was trying to get away with getting Shavar in there as kind of a quasi point guard when you know he's not he's not creating stuff he can't bring the ball up against real defenders it just seems like he's going to play the starters for these elongated minutes and it's going to hurt us toward the end of the season yeah, and then that's not fair to Shavar right I mean it, it, he's he's put out there and you ask him to play the point the kid's going to do the best that he can do he's not a point guard no, he's just not no. if but you're going to steal some minutes for Powell just to give him a blow you get Shavar in there I can live with that but he, he's not he can't run the point but for all the kudos that we gave Willer leading up to these these last two games he's got to take the brunt of the responsibility for some of this fallout so when you see them go through two or three possessions without a true point guard on the floor and you're say, saying to yourself why is Shavar running the point why are we getting 20 seconds into the shot clock with no intention to move towards the basket that's not on Shavar that's on Willard it just is it was an ugly game and we had a little scrap at the end of it when Miles Powell got uh, frustrated and, and kind of gave a little forearm shiver to one of the Providence guys. This has happened. You met, you brought this up in previous years. Where do you think this goes? Do you think this is going to continue? No, I, I think Miles has been the leader that we've described all year long. I think he'll shake it off. I said it was probably this buildup of all the frustration throughout the game. I don't think it has to get to that point. Why? Because I'm going to bring it back to Willard again. I, I've done a 180 from the last podcast where I was Willard best friend now I am on him because if your best player is getting attacked the way he's getting hand checked and held and grabbed there were moments in that game where we were still competitive on the scoreboard whether we had the lead or we're a bucket down it's okay to get a technical foul make a point stand up for your best player let the team know in the middle of the game you're willing to run through a brick wall with the referees and say enough is enough and I think if that would have happened you know what maybe maybe the team might have been detrimental if it was the wrong point in the game I don't think that point would have been it I think early in the game to in a statement wouldn't have been detrimental and I think Powell would have sat there and taken a deep breath and said all right coach has got my back that was his way of saying hey somebody look at what's going on here and it was just not the right way to handle it but that's where the frustration came in and that should have been on Willard if you ask me now during our Big East preview we said that these four game stretch Marquette Providence DePaul and Nova was going to kind of make or break this season and we said we need to go at least two and two Providence was one of those games we thought we was going to get and at the last podcast even you said gotta have this game not a good look gotta have this gotta have this game because we we kind of chalked up the Marquette Nova game in a realistic perspective as losses as I watched that Providence game they're not a good team they are going to be a bottom third of the Big East Conference this year they they're without one of their top leading scorers who's out with an injury they looked lost on offense for the first 10 minutes of the game they couldn't get dribble penetration they couldn't get an open look at the basket our defense was rock solid I think Kevin Willard even in his uh, coach's huddle segment, was sitting there going, stay solid. And I'm sitting there going, I just said that to myself on the couch as I'm watching this game. I'm agreeing with Willard. Don't gamble. There was about four or five segments in that first half when we had a seven-point lead where we kept on jumping passing lanes, trying to make a hero-type play, and it opened up opportunities for them to attack the basket and get an easy look. And it got them right back in the game. And all of a sudden, the flow picked up. And as the flow and pace of that game picked up, that's when the turnovers picked up. If we would have stayed true to who we were and continued to grind out that game, I think we run them out of the building. I do. Mike, this was bad, and it 
it got worse. But before it gets worse, let's talk about a new segment that we're going to have here on the podcast called Stupid Things Announcers Said. Now, we tend to have a, a good chuckle over some of the go-to sayings that announcers have, like Gil is a legit seven foot two, or when they put Miles Powell's high school picture on next to his college picture and say, hey, look, he was fat once. So, Mike, what were some of the stupid things that announcers said during this game? I, when you're frustrated as to how the game's going, these things tend to jump out and just kind of get under your skin a little bit more than they probably should. But as Seton Hall's kind of coming to their demise down the final minute, Tariq Turner kind of takes a comment and goes, whoa, when you got 21 turnovers and only 21 made field goals, that's not good. Thanks, Tariq. Didn't know that, Tariq. That, that's what, a, am I, what, what am I going to do without you, Tariq? That's why Tariq makes the big money. Or I feel like sometimes they just have their their go-to script and they just they really haven't done their homework on the team. To tell me that Michael Lindsay has never shot a three in his entire career, so therefore he knows his role, and therefore he's a great player for Seton Hall, that, that's uh, that's just fantastic journalism again, Tariq. Fantastic. Has Michael Lindsay ever taken anything past 12 feet? No. I, like I said, it was he was going to his go-to script, and we were falling apart right there in front of my eyes, and I'm just like, write that down because I got to bitch about it. Now, speaking about falling apart, here comes Saturday night at the Rock, DePaul, a game we were calling a tune-up, an eight-point favorite Seton Hall craps the bed. I, I wish it would have stayed true to, to what, the, what the projections were, but obviously it did not. DePaul comes into the Rock, snow snow projected in the forecast state of emergency called by the by the governor and then we only draw six thousand so it didn't have the kind of raucous feel that we probably needed to get behind the team paul takes advantage 97 to 93 is the final there were a couple of bright spots q comes out and had a probably a, his best game as a pirate nine of 11 from the field 25 points nine assists we kind of had a mini breakout from miles kale 19 points five of seven from deep but he got most of them in the first half uh coming on four or five from three and 16 points kind of faded away in the second half the story of the game, though, was we got out-rebounded 42-19. to 19. Did, did DePaul have a monster shooting game? Sure felt like it. 52% from the field, 54% from three, and they made 90% of their free throws on 32 attempts. They basically just dominated us on the glass, and Paul Reed was the beneficiary of that. Another Pirate opponent with a career-high effort, both in points and rebounds, 21 and 14, respectively. Tommy, if the Providence game was getting under my skin, I was in shock and awe as I watched this one unfold. Paul Reed did have a nice game against us in Chicago with a 12 and 9 line and and not to mention the three blocks that he had uh, this past Saturday night as well Mike but we made him look like like another monster all-american big man coming into town you know it, it's just I don't, I don't understand it maybe we're a little bit soft on the inside we're going to see a lot more of that throughout the year I mean Brunk had a good game uh, Hankins had a good game and, and and now Reed has a good game maybe it's not what the opponent's doing maybe it's a lack of what we're doing so therefore I understand why Willard tried to pull a rabbit out of his hat and go to the well and let Brody start this game. But I don't get his rotation. What is going on? Why is a player who has only really seen the floor for a game and a half, a real time, getting a start in the most crucial game probably on our schedule at this point? And how does he decide that he takes Mike Enzi out? Uh, hang on, hang on. I understand why. I understand the logic is maybe you need a bigger guy to kind of balance it out, and then you get Enzi to come in with the second unit, give a little more experience, a little more balance to the second unit. I get the strategy, but the execution of who you put out there just looked like egg on his face at the end of the day. You got almost nothing out of Brody. Got almost nothing, zero points, 
zero rebounds, four fouls in 13 minutes. Uh, dare I even share the stat of a minus 15 for the game? Minus 15. Uh, you, you think you think it backfired? Uh, just a little bit. And he's not the same kind of player that Gill is. Gill is a seven foot two guy. He changes the feel of the entire starting lineup. He changes how the other team has to play. Brody, he's more, he's a big dude. He's wide, but he's not a skier. He's not going to block shots and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Dare I say Gill is a legit 7-2? He's a legit 7-2, Mike. I get it. Get, and I understand it worked against Maryland. He is a presence in the middle defensively, makes the opponent think differently. That's not who Brody is. And once again, no offense to the to the kid. So I understand why he runs Gill out there because he truly does impact the game and change the mindset of the opponent with how he can alter the shots in the paint. That's not the same kind of player that Brody is. He's going to sit there and body up and bang, uh, you know, the opposing offensive player, maybe keep him out of the paint or at least make it a little more challenging. That didn't happen tonight. So not, why stick with it? And not all minutes are equal, Mike. If he played 13 minutes throughout the game and he got his four fouls and obviously he zeroed out everywhere else, are we even really talking about this? No, but but this is not about picking on Brody. This goes back to the Shavar example. I'm not, I'm not picking on Shavar because he was asked to play the point. I'm picking on Willard for asking this player to give you 13 minutes and start the game. It didn't get off to a good start. It didn't get to a good finish. I don't need Kevin telling me that in the in the post-game interview. I mean, it was obvious. Cut the experiment short and move on. But move on to what? Are we moving on to Torian Thompson there? I, I don't know what the answer was, but it wasn't Brody. You've said multiple times over these podcasts, our calling card is our defense. And we gave up 97 points in regulation to DePaul. That's horrendous. At home. At home, which is the most ever given up by a Kevin Willard team during his nine-year tenure. And is also the most points given up by a Hall team at home, dating all the way back to 2006 under Gonzo. It was unacceptable to give up that type of an effort defensively in the type of game that we needed to win. If it was Marquette, fine. If it was the Notre Dame team that put up 102 back in 2006 that could shoot the lights out, fine. If it was a Villanova team, fine. It was DePaul. It was DePaul. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss of words here. I, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I think most of the fan base is because... It just doesn't make sense. It's and a look back and scratch your head kind of moment. And that's the crazy part. If I called you up and said, hey, Mike, Seton Hall just scored 93 points against DePaul, you'd be thinking we won the game by 30 points. Are, are you quoting Miles Powell postgame here? <laughs> I mean, the problem is even the players are coming up with these excuses. Instead of Miles telling me, hey, we scored 93 and we lost, and that doesn't happen too often, how about you sit there and say, that's on us. We can't be giving up 97 points in our own building. We have to be better than that. That's the answer I want to hear from this team right now. We have to put these games behind us as frustrating as they are, and we have to build to the remaining games left on this schedule. There's still a lot of basketball to play, but the body language and the answers from the team and the coach, I don't like where we're going. Now, speaking of Miles Powell quotes at the end of the game, I'll tell you what struck me as the most important quote. Only one guy had more than two rebounds 
in for the entire team, and that was Sandro with ten. Everybody else had two or less rebounds. We everybody got else crushed. everybody else had two or less. Powell had two. Not one other player had more than one rebound. How was that even possible? We got crushed. How was that possible? We got crushed on the boards, forty-two to nineteen. NZ Brody combined for one rebound in twenty-four minutes. We're talking about two men that are over six foot eight, somehow only getting one board between them and we know which one got it because we already talked about Brody grabbing nothing for the game Thompson had one rebound these this 42 to 19 rebounding edge allowed DePaul to outscore us 25 to 8 on second chance points there's your game so, so I'm gonna give uh, Enzi a pass because normally on a night in night out basis Mike brings his lunch pail to the game he's in there doing the dirty work he's an undersized four and he's playing the five for us so I, I'm gonna give him a pass and say this was just probably not one of his better efforts in his career but where is the boxing out from the rest of the team if you go back and watch some of those putbacks by DePaul it's not because they outworked us it's because because we were non-existent on some of those plays. Our guards are standing around letting their guys crash the glass. We are caught in defensive rotations trying to help out because all of a sudden we can't stop ball penetration. Well, not only do you have to rotate on defense when you're when the ball's getting swung to the open man, you also have to rotate and box out. And our guards are not doing that at all. It's frustrating to watch because it's fundamental 101. If you want to beat somebody on the glass, you have to want to beat somebody on the glass. Rebounding is an effort. It's a hustle thing. It's I want the ball more than you want the ball type of thing. I did not see that last night. That's what was discouraging. You know, Mike, in college basketball, the coaches seem to get all this credit for when the team does well. But now we're having this downward slide and Willard's going to get slammed right now. How do you not get your team into the right mentality for this game? How do you not get them to have the right energy level to get into this game? You are at a 3-3 three and three mark in the Big East. You're on a precipice of a slide to 3-5 and five because you've got to go to Philadelphia and play Nova, who is, once again, dominating the Big East, and you pull this kind of effort on against DePaul. I don't get it, Tommy. I, ju I just don't get it. I don't expect Willard to be a Hall of Fame coach at this point. I just don't. I mean, he is who he is. He's, he's not the coach, national coach of the year. He shouldn't be getting fired. He's probably somewhere in the middle. But if I'm a good coach and I'm developing in my career, I should want to emulate certain things that I see from the best that are out there. And normally when a team is down and I've watched the Jimmy Bayheims of the world and the, and the Mike Krzyzewskis and the Bobby Knights, when his their teams need a spark, you see the fire in their own coach. You know, they, they, like I said, they might get a T. They might yell at a player for making a bad play. They just might get completely fired up in a timeout. I, I don't see that from Willard ever, ever. I mean, what, what, one time he tried to, like, grab the TV monitor and then put it down after he shaked it once. He looked like a deer in headlights towards the end of that game. So that kind of becomes the personality of your team. The rest of the team looks like a deer in headlights. I did not see the fire from the players. 
and I thought it was a direct correlation from the coach. Maybe that's just his style of coaching. It doesn't resonate with me. But we get this almost every year now. We get this slide, what I call the Seton Hall slide, every year. We're, we're doing well. We've got big expectations. I, we've beaten some big teams this year, Mike. And now we went 0-3 against the dregs of the Big East. Maybe so, they so were right about picking us eighth in the Big East this year, Mike. Maybe, maybe not. I, look, there's a lot of emotion right now on the table for everybody. I, I am I, the, the emotion for me is already raw. I think it's right for everyone else to feel that way, too. I'm going to ask you this. As we have our annual early to mid-January swoon, we've also seemed to find a way to right the ship over those previous seasons as well. So going back to that 2010-2011 season, they rip off 4-1 and one down the stretch, and they put themselves in a chance, which they missed out on, but they put themselves in a chance to secure a bid. The last three seasons, they go 8-1, and 7-2, and 4-1 and one respectively, and they make the NCAA tournament, finishing strong on a high note. So maybe Willard finds a way to fix it as time goes along, but he's had the talent on those previous teams to do so. This is a team that's been overachieving. Is he going to be able to make the right adjustments and have a similar trajectory to recover on the back end of the schedule? Well, that's you tell the, me, Tommy. That's the question, though. You, you kind of answered your own question. He had the talent in the past three seasons. Three seasons ago, he and Isaiah-led team. Two seasons ago, it was Casey, Desi, and Delgado, just like it was last year. These guys were hugely talented, huge scorers, and they could take over games themselves. Were there real games in the past three seasons where we thought to ourselves, well, that was a hell of a strategy or that was a play call? Or was it just such individual talent that led them there? I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It, it, we said we were going to be in for a roller coaster. We said we were going to be in for watching this team grow and develop. So there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And and there's a lot of question marks in the, in the next couple of games coming up. Do you really think the way that they're playing, they have any shot at Nova right now on the road that I don't care now whether it's, you know, on their on-campus gym or or over in the Verizon Center. I don't care right now. You haven't won there in 30 years. The psychological impact of having to go on the road and play a Nova team that's now 5-0 and again back at the top of the standings, I don't think they stand a, sh a shot in that game. This team is not trending in the right direction. It's not playing very good basketball. It's not like we're losing these games in heartbreaking fashion. We're just losing these games. And there is no way in hell that we're rolling in to Philadelphia and winning that game. We got to Providence, and Providence had just lost a heartbreaking overtime game to Georgetown. And I thought to myself, this is a bad look right here. Providence hasn't won a Big East game yet. We're rolling in there. This is another road game for us. This is a bad time. We lose that game. Okay. We said DePaul's coming in. We're going to have our, our tune-up game. I saw people call this a revenge game for crying out loud. This, this isn't a revenge game. We Maybe we should have taken it. We got swept by DePaul. Can, can, can I remind the listeners how many times DePaul has swept an opponent in their Big East Conference history? Twice Tom, twice. Can you name the two? Uh, Once to us this year, it was me. us again, Don't Tommy. Do this to it me. was us again, 2014-2015, in that 2-9 and nine tumble, twice they beat us. So only time it's ever happened in DePaul's franchise or program's history in the Big East, they swept us twice. Twice! 
I got to keep my composure here. What's going to fix this? I have to move on from this loss at this point. We just we just need to move forward. What's the solution? I keep on reading that everyone's so excited to have Romaro Gill come back. Is Romaro Gill the answer? No, no. I, Romaro Gill is a nice piece. He's done some nice things in a few games, but let's remind everybody he's averaging eight points, eight minutes a game. There have been games where he hasn't even played because Willard thought he wasn't a good matchup for him. So this is this is not a otherworldly talent that is coming off the injury that's going to make a change here. But but I am I am encouraged that Gill getting back on the floor could maybe reestablish or solidify the defense that we were playing and maybe we get back to the fundamentals and the the solid foundation that we were playing on one side of the floor and hopefully that will kind of feed into some more transition offense and we get back to the the identity of who this team was. So I'm with you. I, I think people are asking a lot for Gil to come back from an injury and make an immediate impact when he is a role player. He, he's he's had a lot of impact as a role player, but I think we're, we're setting some really lofty expectations here. See, at this point, I don't know what it's going to take. You know, a few games ago, we, we lose to Providence and people are saying Powell can't do it himself. He needs a number two score. Well, DePaul comes into town. We have a number two score we have a number three score Sandro has a decent game and we still lose at home to the Paul by four points because you gave up 97 because the defense was non-existent my bigger concern is exactly what you just identified to not have a consistent number two scorer as we progress through the rest of the schedule that is going to come back to rear its ugly head more often than not and I'm going to go there I'm going to go here again we have this unknown because our number two leading scorer that should be our number leading number two leading scorer is currently non-existent i am going to pick on torian thompson again the team had expectations so we had a certain expectation of gill and we sit there and go okay we give him a pass it's not fair to give him all these lofty expectations of saving the season we're more than halfway through the season mike i think that ship has sailed it, it is what it is at this point you got, all you can do is watch him come in hope he gives you six to eight points doesn't jack up any one-footed three-point shots into the opposing team's bench and, and not get anybody hurt but it has a trickle-down effect we were saying at the beginning of the season wow look at the defensive effort from sandro look at the defensive effort from enzi and you got gill backing them up and we expected thompson to give some relief minutes as he was working his way back into form now all of a sudden i think the team knows that thompson is a zero i'm not trying to be mean but he is right now a non-factor so i think you see enzi and i think you see sandro playing i'm gonna pick on him here more of the Angel Delgado Matador D. I can't pick up my fourth and my fifth foul, so therefore I'm going to let my guy get to the basket a little more easily than I should. And they're playing cautiously. If you got a guy that you trust as your teammate to come in there and give you 20 minutes on a given night and balance the rotation, just like we're asking Nelson to do for Q, then I think you get a more relaxed, more comfortable Sandro. I think Enzi's a little more aggressive. We've lost our edge. Hence, you get out-rebounded 42-19. to 19. Back to Nova. Do we have a shot? No. We don't have a shot this weekend. I think it's going to be ugly. I don't think it's going to be close. And I think we're going to have another nasty podcast next week. Right now, Nova is kind of evolving back into the, the type of team that Jay Wright likes to put on the floor. In their win over Xavier, they put up 34 threes out of their 60 shots. And I think they shot over 40% from the floor to win that game. They are adjusting as a young team. They're playing his 
style. Uh, everybody's starting to get it. I'm very concerned about this game. I think it, I think you should be at this point. One team is trending in, in a very high upward fashion. We are going in the exact opposite. Could we surprise? We've always played this team tough. Have we not always played this team tough? We have played this team tough at home and in the Big East tournament. We have not played this team all that tough in Philadelphia. But can Willard try to build upon, hey, if there's a team in the Big East that has had their number since the formation of the new Big East, it would be this program compared to others? The only thing working in our favor is so far this season, it seems that we save good games for our toughest opponents. I didn't think we had a chance against Kentucky, and we won. I thought the Maryland game was going to be a lot harder than it was, and we won. We rolled into the Big East opener against St. John's, one on the crazy shot at the end by Shavar. Maybe this is one another one of those games, but I highly doubt it. And to make things even worse, Michael, it's National Viewing Day for Seton Hall. And the Left Coast Pirates might be making a trip to a bar in San Diego to watch this game, won't we? I haven't given up yet. It, like I said, there's a long season ahead of us. We are only seven games into an 18-game conference schedule. I can't believe I'm going to say this because right now we are playing like a bottom third team in the conference a team that was predicted to be finish in eighth. But let's say we lose the Nova game. They do have a favorable schedule coming up after that. Home against Providence. Tough road environment, but a winnable game at Butler. Home against Creighton. Home against Georgetown. They could find a way to win three out of four there and get right back to six and six in the conference. There's that possibility. As a Pirate fan, you still have to hold on to hope that if we could stay into that nine and nine, ten and eight range. I don't know if we're going to get there right now. Not with the this brand of basketball but if they stay in that range of record there's still a shot to get into the tournament which would be far exceeding expectations from where we started i think it'll take a miracle of epic proportions to get to the 10 and 8 record at this point we're gonna be three and five after sunday which would may mean that we've got to finish the rest of the season off in high fashion and i just don't see us doing it i don't see us it's going to require beating either nova or mark Kid at home. I don't see us going on the road to Creighton and doing any damage there. It's just not favorable. It's been a roller coaster the entire time. I think that we're still in for some more ups, some more downs, because just just how this team is. This team, even though they lost these last two games in the poor fashion of how they played, they were still in those games. I expect this team to still be in games throughout the year, and therefore they're going to win a couple that you didn't expect them to, and they're going to lose some more that you didn't expect them to. And that's part of the fun of the ride. I, it, we just got to a point where I got a little giddy. I a little wasn't giddy. a little giddy. I wasn't, so let me explain to, to wrap up here the rationale why I said Big East regular season champs. Because at the time when we were two and zero, three and one, and you watched Villanova play their first couple games, I know they won, but they were down at one point by fourteen to DePaul. They were not the team that you have seen them be in the past. They don't have this daunting starting five. They don't have five-star players that are juniors or seniors yet on, on this roster. They looked fallible. Marquette looked like they were struggling on the road. It looked like the Big East regular season champ was going to be somewhere in the 13 and five range. So I wasn't trying to be a prognosticator and say Seton Hall is going to be 16 and two, 15 and three. But if I would have said to you 13 and five wins the Big East regular season, the way that we were playing to start the year two and zero out of the gate, was that possibly 
totally realistic? You're asking me now? No. No, I'm I told you no then. I told you no then. I'm going to tell you no now. To get to 10 and 8, right? To get in 10 and 8 after this Nova game, we're going to need to go 7 and 3, Mike. Look at the rest of the schedule. We do not have seven wins out of the rest of the schedule. I am sorry. So I will backtrack. I did not expect Nova to get back on the path that they are at. Even if Seton Hall would have righted the ship in a couple of these games, I would have come on this podcast and said, look, top three finish. But the way Nova's playing, I don't think someone's going to track down Nova other than Marquette. I just don't. I'm not I'm not saying that I was ba- I'm going from the extreme of winning the title to finishing back in the basement. I still think this team has, you know, somewhere between fourth through sixth kind of finish in the regular season, you know, on the horizon. But I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be right now. I'm I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed, but but I still think there's potential. You are a man of true faith. That's all. Somebody I has to be. You got us finishing in seventh place when we're two and zero. Oh. Someone's got to be. Stop it, Michael. I, I don't expect us to win against Nova, but I'm hoping that I'm coming to this podcast with pleasant news because I don't know if I can go through another thirty minutes about just kind of breaking down the Nova spanking that I think we're gonna get. Well, Michael, hopefully we'll have a more pleasant and cheery podcast next time. I so, do. I do hope so. This has been Lo- West Coast Pirates. We've been brought to you by Chocolate Toast Studios. Chocolate. Toast's goal as a studio is to show the importance of multicultural diversity through character development. If you like comic books, try out Chocolate Toast Studios. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our other podcasts and our interviews, which includes shhoops.com founder Chris McManus, former pirate John Yablonski, and former WSOU broadcaster Mike McEnany. For Mike Dizzeri, I'm Tom Kaharski, and this has been Left Coast. Pirates.